The Truth News Network. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. And we deal in facts. Here's one. You might want to write this one down. You can't comply your way to freedom. That's how prisons work. Seeing the picture? Here's someone who can make it clearer. His name is Dan Newman. You want to find facts. You want clarity. You want truth. And you want exposure for all of the things that we're hearing coming from our government that are lies. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to TNN Live. Final show of the week. And we've got so much on the plate today that we need to talk about. There's a bunch of corruption we need to expose. Some new corruption in the president's life we're going to expose today. We're also going to take a a peek at what's going on in Ukraine. And uh, we've got a story. As I told you before, we have references throughout most of the Middle East and Europe. Contacts that we can get information from. Often we get information from them you don't hear here. We've got one of those reports, and we're going to get to it in a minute, and it has to do with Ukraine. Some big news about Ukraine, but nobody in the United States wants to talk about it. It's interesting. You're 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 going to be um, you're going to be shocked when you hear this audio bite coming out of Europe. We have a lot a lot of other things to talk about. Exposure things. Joy Reid, MSNBC, she's looking at possible and probable litigation for some things that she said on the air. Now, remember, she goes uncarked all the time. She explodes on anybody and everybody that has a differing opinion of her on everything. Hardcore leftist. She's as close to totalitarian as you can come without actually being totalitarian, and she may be. Let's just put it this way. Her basic premise when she meets people or hears about people, her default position is, these people are evil. Well, she's in some trouble for her quote-unquote opinions that uh, she passed out very liberally to an African-American man. Yeah, we got a lot going on there. Then there's more southern border news. There's more economic news. I got to be honest with you, none of this is good for this president and his administration. He is in trouble. And now the the talk is not whether the Republicans are going to take over Congress. It's how many seats will be left especially in the House of Representatives for Democrats to sit in. I don't remember the exact number of House seats that Obama lost in his first midterm election. 80, I think? Something like that. It's way up there. Expect a similar red wave coming November. And it may even get worse because everything in the nation is summarily getting worse, right? Nobody can get a fix on this or they act like they can. But if they do, they're certainly not sharing it with the American people, what they are sharing with us is some new ways to crack down on our freedoms here in the United States in the last two and a half years of the Biden administration. White House Press Secretary yesterday, Jen Psaki, she defended a recently announced, I love this, 
Department of Homeland Security effort to combat disinformation on issues related to COVID-19 and elections. Now, let me ask you this. Why do you have to have an agency full of bureaucrats, not elected people, bureaucrats that the number one thing on their mind is to overcome everything about their political opponents. That would be Democrats in power, and they want to suppress all the stuff that conservatives, Republicans say in a public forum. So how do you do that? Well, just go back and look at how Adolf Hitler did it. What did they do? They put people in charge that had the unilateral political power to go out there and grab anybody who gives any information counter to the administration in power and tag that information that these people are giving out as disinformation, banning the disinformation, which really isn't disinformation, and also banning the people that deliver it. They know what this is all about. Certainly you do. We all do. It's about shutting everybody up that dissents with the far left, period. Taking that conversation out of our everyday conversations. Kind of like what they did, and it was effective, and it worked. Do you remember about the 2020 election? Shortly after the election, lawsuits started flying. People were coming forward and testifying before legislative committees in places like Pennsylvania and Michigan and Wisconsin, telling and giving facts about what they personally saw in the way of cheating in the 2020 election. And then all of a sudden, the media, including places like Fox News, crickets, you couldn't hear anything. And of course, then the left came up with the term big lie. Donald Trump was the author of the big lie. What's the big lie? That the election was stolen. We don't know today if the entire election was stolen. We do know there was significant cheating in that election. That is a fact proven in court even after it was proven by the sworn testimony of dozens of witnesses in these states that were part of making it happen. And then even more, they watched it happen while they were involved. But the American media, they don't want to talk about the election. The only thing about that time of uh, the year that they want to talk about is January 6th, the insurrection, where those evil Trump people beat cops, killed five people. They didn't kill one person. One of their own, a Capitol Police, that were taking care of our Capitol as their job calls for them to do. One of them shot a woman from San Diego and killed her. Shot her from behind. Un- unweaponed. She had no weapon. Ashley Babbitt. Her family doesn't have a mother and a wife because of somebody in the government that usurped the the rights of Americans, which is free speech. These people were breaking the law. There's no question about it. They were trespassing. Trespassing. That's what most of those that have been charged are being charged with. It's a misdemeanor. She wasn't hurting anybody. She wasn't attempting to hurt anybody. She wasn't threatened. 
threatening anybody. She was walking through a, a doorway that had been broken down and a Capitol policeman from behind, left side behind her, shot her in the back of the neck and she bled out right there and died. But you can't talk about that because that's all part of the big lie. So, Fox News White House correspondent Jackie Hendrick, she wanted some more information about what this Department of Homeland Security Disinformation Governance Board would be doing specifically. And here's what Jen Psaki said. I really haven't dug into this exactly. I mean, we of course support this effort, but let me see if I can get more specifics. Now let me ask you this. Psaki's in on every Oval Office meeting, almost without exception. When plans are being made, she's part of that process. She knows exactly what's going on there. And probably what she was saying when she responded that way to Jackie was, look, I don't have my talking points down yet. Let me get that straight, and tomorrow in our White House press briefing, I'll give them to you. The White House announced its support for that effort from the DHS to crack down on what it considers to be online disinformation. Alejandro Mayorkas, Homeland Security Secretary, he testified, if you can call it that. All he did was throw out allegations against those in the Judiciary Committee that were having conversations with him. He refused to answer many questions, and when he did, it was from a superiority talking down to these members of Congress. They called it testimony, but it really was nothing but disinformation. And the big bombshell was this disinformation governance board that had recently, it was already created, to combat that online disinformation. Define online and misinformation. It's anything that anybody says or anything posts online that is directly in opposition to the leftist political narrative, period. has nothing to do with disinformation or misinformation. It has to do with stifling opinion, published, written opinion, which is a violation of Americans' First Amendment. There's no other way to couch it. And the woman that was announced to be the head of this committee She is nothing but a far leftist. Her name is is, uh, Jankowitz. Jankowitz. She's got a history. She's got some history. Nina or Nina, I'm not sure how she pronounces it. Jankowitz. She previously served as a disinformation fellow at the Wilson Center. We know there's been a range of disinformation out there about a range of topics, I mean, including COVID, for example, also elections and eligibility, Saki said, adding that she was going to check for any other information she could get. So she was asked by Heinrich about prior statements that Jankowitz made and how the administration can take care of the concerns over her appointment to lead the effort fairly. And Saki responded to Heinrich's question. It sounds like the objective of the board is to prevent disinformation and misinformation from traveling around the country in a range of communities. I'm not sure who opposes that effort. Nobody would if that was the effort. 
But it's not. It's the same effort that was put in the marketplace by people like Adolf Hitler, Stalin, Lenin. Seriously, folks, that's what it is. Clamp down on what anybody in government calls misinformation or disinformation, attacking the free speech of Americans. Is this going to stand? Are we going to let this happen? Or are we going to rise up against and stop this thing? This is the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. Let me tell you what she did. Jankowitz. When the Hunter Biden laptop thing came out, she was dead set against it. She said there was nothing there. It was it was a Russian plant. She followed that. And then later, she came back and said, it's absolutely not true. We have a letter written by 51 former intelligence experts. Experts. 51 of them. It was Russian disinformation, they all said. Who, who's number among them? Everybody that has got a name that's been a Democrat intelligence that you can remember. They all were part of that letter. Every one of them signed off saying they know factually it was planted by Russia. And when it was disproven that it literally was real, it was Hunter's, all that content on that laptop he put there, none of it had to do with Russian disinformation. Not a single one of those 51 came forward and said a word. Nor has she. I could stop right here and for the next hour, almost hour and 50 minutes, hour and 47 minutes left on the show, we could talk about this one thing. You could call in and express your opinions, but you know what? We're not going to go anywhere. That wouldn't do us any good. Only thing that's going to do us good is to take the information that we get that proves that conservative causes on the most part are right or truthful or honest, and that information like this, like this agency that they're putting together, it's already put together, and expose it for what it is, with facts, not with opinion. And when you are challenged on a fact that you give or share to somebody, you post it, you write it, you speak it, when you're attacked, you've got to turn around and give them the proof of the honesty and the factualness of what you say. You've got to start doing that. We all do. And there's no reason to shy away from it. Like all of our leaders on, in, in the Republican Party, in the House, in the Senate, every one of them, when the big life term came out, they all just went dead quiet. There's only a handful of them, in, uh, of them in Congress, especially in the House, that will actually or have stepped forward to express their opinion that that election, the results were dishonest. That's not going to work, folks. If we want to take our government back, if we want there to be real free speech, good, honest governing over things of speech and news that's put out in the marketplace, we can't abridge it. We just can't do it. There's going to be information that comes out that's not factual. It's wrong. We need to 
make sure people know that. But that news agency that put it out, those people that work there, they have the same rights of speech that you and I do, which is free. Sometimes what we say, people don't like. But that's okay. It's our opinion. Sometimes we give news that they don't want us to. But that's okay. And the same thing works on the other side. When you get really mad about what you see and hear on shows like The View, and other news, so-called news operations out there, including hardcore news on MSNBC, CBS, ABC, NBC, CNN. When you see and hear all that misinformation, it doesn't do any good for you to get mad. Talk to your friends, talk to your fellow workers, and have good, positive conversations with them about all of this stuff. We owe it to them, we owe it to ourselves, and more than all that, we owe it to our kids. Now what about that, um, that story coming out of Europe today that I got overnight? Haven't heard a word about it from anybody on mainstream media. It has to do with fighter jets. You remember that Poland stepped forward, I guess a month ago, maybe five or six weeks ago. And Volodymyr Zelensky had been begging all of his partners around the world, we need weapons, we need weapons, and specifically, we need aircraft to be able to defend parts of our country and to go nose-to-nose with the Russian people. Poland said, hey, we've got these MiGs. These are the planes your pilots in Ukraine were trained on. We'll let you have them, literally, just hand them over. But because we, Poland or next-door neighbors, our border is right up against Ukraine. We don't want to aggravate Vladimir Putin because we gave those fighter jets to Ukraine. United States, we'll give them to you. We'll take them to your big air base in Germany. You get those Ukrainian pilots down there and train them, and then you guys send those jets to Germany. Remember that? And nobody stepped forward. Joe Biden nixed the deal. Joe Biden nixed that deal. It was approved by everybody else over there. Joe Biden nixed the deal. I wonder why. We never got an answer, and nobody's asking questions about it. But guess what? Apparently, those jets are in Ukraine. Here's that story out of Europe I told you about. He's been appealing for reinforcements since the start of the invasion. And the Pentagon confirmed late Tuesday that the fighter planes and spare parts long requested by Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky have been delivered, but declined to comment on the quantity or origins. I would just say, without getting into uh, what other nations are providing, that they have received additional um, platforms and parts to be able to, uh, to be able to increase their fleet size, their aircraft fleet size. We certainly have helped with the, with the transshipment of some additional spare parts uh, that have helped with their aircraft needs, but we have not transported whole aircraft. Despite not naming any donor countries or details, it suggested that the equipment involves MiG-29 aircraft, after Kiev asked its Western allies for help providing Russian-made planes that its pilots already know how to operate, and that a smattering of Eastern European countries already have. 
The more and the sooner we get all the weapons we've requested, the stronger our position will be, and the sooner there will be peace. The announcement comes one week after President Biden unveiled an 800 million military aid package to Ukraine and suggests a shift in Western attitudes after initially evading the provision of direct arms after Moscow said it would consider that involvement in the war. So Ukraine has those MiG-29s now. Isn't that interesting? You heard that first spokesperson, that's Admiral, former, well, he is still an admiral, uh, formerly in the Navy as an admiral, John Kirby, who is the Pentagon spokesperson. And you you heard how he carefully tiptoed through the report to make sure that nothing he said would imply or give Vladimir Putin any concept that the United States was involved in that airplane thing. Let me ask you a question. We live on planet Earth. We're all people. We all make choices. Sometimes our choices are good. Sometimes they're bad. Vladimir Putin, I'm sure every day when he wakes up, he's having one or two or three OMG moments very quickly because he's losing this thing in Ukraine. And it's not because of anybody else but the Ukrainian people. They're beating the bully back. So he is intimidated, but he is nothing more. He has no history in his life of being anything more than a bully. Now, I don't want to oversimplify it. He is the president of a big nation. They're not the power that they have been in the past. Their economy is just torn to shreds. He had no business to put his people in the debt that they're obviously in over his war with Ukraine, unprovoked, by the way. So every day when he wakes up, he's kind of like, oh, my oh my God, what have I done? What have I done? And he's trying to find a good exit right now. I guarantee that's what's happening. And so what everybody is afraid of is on two different occasions, he publicly has made it very clear he is not against lobbing some nukes at those who come to the benefit of Ukraine in this war. And because of that, and because of that only, our president, the leaders of these, all of these European countries that are a part of this, none of them will stand up and point to Moscow and tell the bully, you better stop this. Nobody has done that. Not one leader has done that. They all want to pacify Vladimir Putin. And don't think for a second he doesn't understand that. He had a long history in the KGB. You remember them in the Soviet Union? They, they, they were the worst kind of law enforcement people in history. They just tore, tore people up. They tore their houses up. Uh, They beat their kids up. They beat them up, assassinated them with no real reason for doing so over and over and over again. That's the background this guy came up with. And he knows what war is all about. He's been involved in them. Joe Biden, uh, he doesn't have a clue. So what happens when there's a bully? What does the schoolyard bully always do? He wants to steal your lunch, or he wants a candy bar out of your lunch bag. And he threatens he's going to beat you up, and every day at recess for the next month, 
He's going to beat you up. He threatens all these things. And sometimes he does take somebody, and it's always a smaller person that he intimidates to begin with, but he's always bigger, and he takes them out, and he whoops the snot out of them, and everybody else is watching. They're watching the bully. They don't want to be the next victim, so whatever the bully wants, they're going to let him have it. Does that sound eerily familiar to what we're facing today? Wouldn't it be interesting if our president picked up the phone and called Moscow and through interpreters had a short conversation with Vladimir Putin and just told him this, basically. Mr. President, we don't really understand why you attacked and invaded Ukraine unprovoked. I'm sure you have your reasons, but you need to understand this. We don't accept human sacrifices or the slaughtering of civilians, men, women, and children in any kind of war. That is not a military conflict. That's extermination. And if you continue to do this to the Ukrainian people, we will take action against you. I guarantee you, if Joe Biden did that and convinced Vladimir Putin not only that he could do it, but he would do it, Putin would stop. He would find a way in cooperation with the United States and others to slowly withdraw and allow him to leave Ukraine without ever giving up and anybody saying he lost that war. He could save some face. Over there in Eastern Europe, saving face and not looking bad is more important than the actual facts about winning or losing. That's a cultural thing. It's always been that way. And people that understand the geopolitics of that part of the world know that's the way it works. Symbolism over substance. But like on the jet parts and the jets that have been sent over there now finally, it's the same offer from before. It's just that they're doing it quietly because they don't want to awaken the giant. In other words, this war in Ukraine will end only when Vladimir Putin says it's ended. Why? Because he's the schoolyard bully and he's going to whip everybody that disagrees with him. That's a fact, folks. Prove me wrong. Somebody please prove me. President Biden, prove me wrong. Pick up the phone and make that phone call. And let's get it straight and get this thing resolved so we can stop destroying an entire country's infrastructure along with thousands of their citizens being just slaughtered on the streets. There are so many horrible things going on in this administration. I mean, we could spend hours every day just talking about in detail the number of them, probably at least a dozen. One of the biggest and one making the greatest impact on our nation is the number of illegal immigrants that are now living in the U.S. And do you realize that just since Biden was inaugurated, a million, a million illegal immigrants that came in during that time are now living among us. 
their population in the U.S. increased by a million. At the end of 2021, 15 and a half million illegal aliens lived in the country. That's according to FAIR, which they're pretty accurate, Federation for American Immigration Reform. So after rolling back those key Trump-era policies, you know, the ones that Alejandro Mayorkas testified yesterday that were ineffective, they weren't planning, they weren't working, which is a bald-faced lie. They were working. We basically had shut down the illegality at our southern border because of that Remain in Mexico policy that Donald Trump negotiated with the president of Mexico. Novel idea. How about coordinating with your fellow presidents of countries in these places where you need cooperation for the people that live in those countries and for the United States? Massive numbers of illegals are coming into the United States. They're staying here. The state with the most, according to the new estimate, California with 3.2 million. Texas has 2.2 million. Florida has 1.1 million. New York has 1 million. These are the numbers that they tell us, but we know there are far more of these illegals out there that we don't know. They're the gotaways, the ones that we know were coming in, but we didn't catch them. We don't know where they are. At the bottom of the list of places and numbers where these illegals are are West Virginia, North Dakota, Montana, Wyoming, South Dakota, all with under 10,000 illegals. The cost estimated at $143 billion, up some $9 billion from a year prior when FAIR last released an estimate. Can you believe that? We're paying $143 billion a year. We, the American taxpayers, are paying $143 billion because of all of the illegals that this administration is letting in and letting them stay here. That's crazy. Absolutely crazy. One million more. We're going to take our first break. On the other side of the break, some more insanity in our education system and the American Academy of Pediatrics. News coming there. It just seems like we hope and we pray that whatever we're talking about at the time, we can honestly say this with belief and hope. I hope it doesn't get any worse. But I hate to tell you this, it does get worse. And it gets worse almost every day, at least every week, it does. Our public education system is in the crapper. There's no other way to put it. Hi, this is Jack, founder of Jack in the Box. Is the caller there? Mr. Box, Douglas Gopperts from Burger Week magazine. Oh, hey, Doug. Doug's a respected fast food critic. I recently dined on your sourdough jack combo. And? Perfection. The cheese, the jumbo patty, the golden sourdough bread, the french fries. Bravo. Well, thank you. However, I found the dessert a bit dry. It doesn't come with dessert. The candy. The white, round candy with the happy face. Was it wearing a scarf? Yes, I believe it was. Rosy cheeks? Fuzzy earmuffs? Yes, that's it. Douglas, you ate a holiday ball. (gasps) We're giving one away free to customers who buy a sourdough jack combo. But they're not for dessert. They're for antennas. Or a pencil. Right. Well, that's going to improve your score dramatically. Excellent. 
Few things bring as much joy as the delicious taste of Coca-Cola. Like your first time camping or falling in love on a blind date. And now, our new Coke bottles are sip-sized and made from 100% recycled materials. So every bottle can live on to create more memories. That's endlessly refreshing. Coca-Cola. Bottles are made from 100% recycled materials excluding cap and label. Enjoy the great taste of Coca-Cola in a new sip-sized bottle that's made of 100% recycled materials. Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents a word from your wallet. Are we at the gas station? Yeah, I know. I'm feeling these gas prices, too. I'm the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow, that sure adds up. Fat wallets are very in right now. Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%. Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the... Uh, 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 uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today. When a governor can tell a president, no rally in my state, it's time for some definitive truth. Here with the goods, again, Dan Newman. You know, when that commercial first came out announcing, you know, the governor, I forget which state it was, said Trump couldn't come there. That was before. That's while he was still president and he was running for re-election. He was doing his freedom rallies. Well, guess what? He's back out on the road again, and there are still governors that are saying, Mr. Trump, you're not welcome in our state, so don't come here. Isn't it interesting? We live in the freest country on the earth. We're supposed to be, right? And we're seeing these government top-down lockouts. They're happening again and again. Just keep your eyes on it. There's a lot of uh, information that comes out of these rallies that mainstream media doesn't give to you. He had one last night, as a matter of fact. It was very effective. It's always packed crowd, and he just lays it out there. That's why the American people love him so much. He doesn't subscribe to politispeak, which is what runs mainstream media and mainstream educators and mainstream politicos you got to find the way to do it, the talking point of the day, the acceptable version of the definition of anything and everything. And you got to speak following that, rather than just tearing it all apart and speaking the truth. If we can just get to that, folks, we'll know everything that's important. We'll know it from a factual perspective. Instead of having to look and listen to everything that comes out of the media, and tear it apart to find out if there's anything truthful within what they give to us. And of course, they couch everything they say. Oh, this is factual. This is the truth. And whenever, and it happens a lot, they are confronted with the fact that some of the things they said are absolutely not true. They're the ones that invented that new term, that get by, that escape term that everybody is using when they're caught in a lie or giving unfactual information. What is it? Oh, that's your truth. I've got my truth. You go ahead and follow your truth and what you think, but I've got the truth here, and so I'm going to stick with it. 
Because of that, we don't get truth on the first go-round. A new puberty guide has been issued by the American Academy of Pediatrics. And this new guide is aimed at kids from 9 to 12 year old. And it instructs youth about girls. Listen to this. It teaches that girls get erections while normalizing transgender and non-binary characters in order to promote, oh, here we go. We've got to have it for all our kids. Inclusivity. On Saturday in an interview, Dr. Catherine Lowe, one of three co-authors of a new puberty guide for preteens, Dr. Lowe said they wrote the book because of the need for all kids to understand about periods and erections so we all understand each other's body as well as to fill the needs of children who don't fit into a gender binary. With this book, she said, we're trying to change that language to be more inclusive. With traditional puberty education, whether it's in schools or books, We talk about how girls get their periods and boys get erections. But some girls, for example, transgender girls, might not get their periods. They need to understand about erections and those changes in their bodies. So the justification for this, she made it very clear when she said, So we wanted to fill this void in puberty education so that kids, regardless of their gender, can see themselves in a book and learn about their bodies. It's a brand new 150-page guide. I tried to find it online. It's not out there yet. It's titled You-ology, Y-O-U-ology, Uology, a puberty guide for everybody. It was published last week by the American Academy of Pediatric, and, and it aims to assure kids that there's a wide range to what is normal, help them navigate feelings, understand their anatomies, as well as the changes of puberty. It's filled with fun facts, she said, colorful diagrams, and stories from, quote, a diverse cast of fictional characters navigating puberty. According to the guide, an erection is defined as when the penis becomes firm or hard and sticks up. Lowe, who is described as a pediatrician who helps steer the AAP on lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender health and wellness. She also explained how language in the book was used to be more inclusive of the gender spectrum and the trans experience. The style we settled on is to use terms like, for most girls, this happens. For most boys, this happens. To be even more purposeful in including transgender, non-binary, gender-diverse kids, the authors designed characters throughout the book with many being cisgender and others transgender and non-binary according to low. So we would say most boys and kids like this character as a way to really intentionally include gender-diverse kids as well. The reason I put this story so far up in the first hour of the show is purposeful. I want every person that has children or grandchildren to understand this is not just happening today. This has been happening for years, quietly, 
behind the scenes, away from public scrutiny, parents not involved in the process. There is a whole generation of American children that have been, can you imagine teaching this to a 10-year-old kid? They're at 10 years old just trying to figure out what life is all about. They've just been learning about biology and are beginning to understand that their bodies are different. If they're boys, their bodies are different from girls. If they're girls, their bodies are different from guys. That's tough enough all by itself. But then to start teaching this crap? How confused are these kids going to be? How social disabled is this kind of stuff going to make them? They'll have no clue who they are. So instead of just learning how to be kids and go outside and play with their friends and have fun and all those games that us we adults did at different stages, all those things, those fun things that we did with our friends changed, obviously. Instead of doing that and growing up not worrying about their identity, their gender identity, not even thinking about it, just being who they are. Instead of that, these top-down far leftists are indoctrinating our kids and teaching kids that they can actually be a different sex from their biological sex. Can you imagine a kid that is indoctrinated with that at 10, 11, and 12 years old, they make the decision at some point, I'm not, I was born a female, but I'm not a female. I'm a guy. So they spend the rest of their lives trying to act like they're a guy, vice versa, the same thing. Mentally, emotionally, psychologically, it is destroying a generation of kids We, as parents and grandparents, we got to stop it. I don't know any other way to teach it. We got to stop it. We got to step up. How do you do that? Let me just say this. Start with your own kids. Start with their educators. Find out what they are really getting taught in school. And if this stuff is being taught at your child's school, I would highly suggest you get the child out of the school. But if you can't, get yourself involved in the curriculum, be very vocal about it. Give you an example. You know, there's been a lot of hot stuff happening in the public education system over in North Carolina. Many parents who chose to run for their district school boards there this year, one of them, Chrissy Pratt, had never been involved in local politics. Well, that changed during COVID-19 lockdowns when Pratt and millions of other parents, they were locked down at home And they got involved in watching their kids Zoom classroom sessions. And they just found out what their kids have really been being taught. This mother, Chrissy Pratt, she began watching live-streamed Guilford County Board of Education meetings in North Carolina. And she wanted to keep up with the ever-changing COVID restrictions. Well, she saw a whole lot more than COVID restrictions watching her child Zoom classroom sessions. By the end of most meetings, she said, I was screaming at the television. None of the board members were talking about what was best for our kids or how to better educate them and improve their test scores. Pratt has 10 years of experience in teaching, 
12 years in online education. She decided to bring to the table some insight about kids' needs that she said the current school board obviously lacks. Transparency, she said, is a shortcoming of the board. That's an issue many parents are most upset about. And like many other parents, Pratt found that deeper dives into the inner workings of the system uncovered disturbing trends within the curricula. Critical race theory, which, as you know, is a Marxist philosophy that claims society can only be explained by the theory of class struggle between oppressors and the oppressed. And all of that is based, of course, solely on one thing, the person's color. If you're African-American or if you're non-Caucasian, you are automatically thrown into that class called the oppressed. And if you are white, oh my gosh, you're horrible. You're an oppressor. Your biology says that. That's another one of these stupidities these people are teaching our kids. So as a parent, Pratt was able to examine her son's homework, and she found that a bunch of chapters of history were being omitted and replaced with some others. And guess what those were? Her son was taking honors level classes for both U.S. history and world history. Hadn't learned yet about the American Revolutionary War, the Civil War, World War I and World War II, or even the Holocaust. She said the entirety of his U.S. history was civil rights cases, which, of course, is important, but they don't make up all of U.S. history by any stretch. The board, of course, has denied teaching critical race theory. Pratt said she's aware of a couple of concepts being taught, like linking gun violence to white privilege, the tenet of the oppressor versus the oppressed, and the idea that a child can choose his or her own gender now. Pratt said, as a former teacher, I'm fully on the side of the teachers. But there are teachers literally telling their students not to tell their parents what they're teaching. Although I'm an advocate for teachers, she said, if you're teaching something you are telling your child not to repeat to parents, then maybe you should rethink what you're saying in the classroom. All components of this indoctrination, combined with low test scores, and a lack of focus on what's bad for children motivated Pratt to run for school board office. Like I said, I'm not a politician, she said. This is messy and ugly, and it's getting uglier. But I also feel that as a parent and educator, I just couldn't sit on the sidelines anymore. I had to do something about it. I had to do something about it. We haven't even talked about Elon Musk yet. Oh my gosh, we hadn't really talked about Ukraine yet. We got a lot of things to talk about today. And uh, we're not going to do a a bunch on Elon Musk and his purchase pending closing of Twitter. It's all over the news. If you want to get any information about it, you can flip to any news channel. It's dominating the news And almost all of it is little more than speculation. I'm serious. Most of it is speculation. People don't know. And this is a big sale, a big purchase, probably one of the biggest ever to a single individual, $43 billion. 
Elon is paying for private ownership. He's going to take Twitter away from being a publicly traded corporation to being owned solely by Elon Musk. We do have a couple of things we're going to touch on that. And let me tell you what else is coming up. We've got a little bit, an overnight update report from Ukraine and Russia, what's going on there. Governor Jack Keene, former General Jack Keene, weighs in on the status of the war. And of course, we've got Joe Biden. Oh my gosh. It hurts to even think about it. Have you noticed? Can you tell the dramatic difference in the president? Anytime and every time he makes a public appearance now, the way his facial expressions are compared to the way he's been for 50 years in Washington, D.C., in Congress and as vice president, everything's changed about him. Medical professionals watch what he's going through. And everyone I've talked to, and I've talked to a couple of dozen of them, are demonstrative about the fact that he is in cognitive decline. The President of the United States is in cognitive decline. Real truth, real news. TNN, the Truth News Network. Grab an ice-cold can of Celsius and stay active and energized all day. Celsius is better for you energy, made with premium ingredients, zero sugar, and seven essential vitamins, with no high-fructose corn syrup, no aspartame, no preservatives, and no artificial colors or flavors. Celsius is just the essential energy you need to keep you fueled and active all day. Celsius, essential energy, live fit. Now find Celsius at Celsius.com or a retailer near you. We're outside Pilgrim Furniture and Mattress City where parents are disappearing. Excuse me, are your parents in there? Yeah. They can't decide if they should take no interest for 60 months with no money down or an extra $100 off every $9.99 they spend. It's a tough choice. But they've been in there for six hours. I want dinner. Parents, if you're a pilgrim, please make a decision. The I'm crazy hungry, so she's got to be too. Slide through the Mickey D's drive-thru to get a Big Mac. Right after I order her quarter pounder with cheese, because I don't know everything, but I do know what my girl's feeling hangry meal. Get it at McDonald's when you buy one of your faves, like the Big Mac, quarter pounded with cheese, 10-piece chicken McNuggets, or filet of fish, and get another for just a dollar. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Valid on item of equal or lesser value. New home ownership can be a real eye-opener, but it's the perfect time to look into Homeowner 101 from The Home Depot. Free live streaming workshops taught by expert associates. Now at homedepot.com slash workshops. You'll find indoor and outdoor workshops, even home systems workshops. Plus, you'll get the know-how you need to care for your biggest investment. Master the basics at Homeowner 101, only at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Register now at homedepot.com slash workshops. You know, we haven't talked much about this thing about Joe Biden flexing his muscles, floating out those trial balloons to see what people think about his discussion about cancellation of school debt, college debt. We've talked about it here before, but not really dug deeply into the ramifications of doing that. 
there were a lot of things about this thing that just turned my stomach inside out. First of all, most student debt, listen to what I'm about to say, less than 10% of what is owed out there, based on historical, the way it's happened, most of the debt, at least 90% of it, will be paid back anyway. Historically, that's the way it works. They scream and holler about this is going to hurt the African-American community. It doesn't. It doesn't, folks. Stats don't show that. But don't let facts, don't let real information, don't let data points get in the way of a political perspective. There's only one reason why this president is even considering cancellation or whatever some variety, potpourri of ideas to take the load of all this student debt off those people and their parents. It has to do with one thing and one thing only. He's trying to find something that he can say is positive to use in the midterm election so that Democrats running for election and those running for re-election in the Congress can have something good to say, look, here's what we did. Moms, dads, kids, look at what we did. We wiped out all that debt. They don't wipe anything out. The only thing they cancel is the obligation for the people who made the debt to pay it back. We, the people, will be paying it back. Now, what is that going to have to do with our economy? Nobody's talking about this. We have horrible inflation right now. You know that. Every time you go to the grocery store, the gas pump, you're living right in the middle of it. It's Bidenflation is what it is. He made it with all of his crazy government spending that his lapdogs in Congress in the House and the Senate, where they have majorities, they support everything he throws out there. It's going to get worse if he even puts his hands on the student debt thing. Maya McGinnis, who's president of that Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget, she warned that student debt cancellation may be an extremely appealing political talking point, but it's not a good policy. It's costly, inflationary, poorly targeted, and fails to address the root problems in our higher education finance system, she said. Full debt cancellation would be a massive handout to rich doctors and lawyers, would worsen our inflation crisis, and would cost almost as much as the entire 2017 tax cuts. She said even partial debt cancellation would be costly, would be regressive and inflationary. Forgiving 10000 per person of debt would cost as much as universal pre-K or a full extension of the expanded ACA subsidies. Either the president is serious about reducing deficits and getting inflation under control, or he is not. The White House can't have it both ways. We need to be focusing on a serious and effective agenda that prioritizes sound policies, not poorly targeted political giveaways. Noah Weinrich, who's a spokesperson for Heritage Action, the campaign side sister organization to the conservative think tank Heritage Foundation, 
Noah said that canceling student debt would raise inflation by up to 20%. Make no mistake, if this happens, it's a handout to wealthy, educated voters that will come at the expense of higher prices for food, for gas, and energy for working American families who won't see a dime of relief, not to mention higher taxes. This is an absurd election year gimmick that punishes most Americans. And there's another one out. The Manhattan Institute, senior fellow Brian Rydell. He was less emphatic about the inflation impact on canceling debt, but he made clear he still views it as a bad economic policy. If the Prez, he said, tries to permanently cancel a large portion of student debt, not even all of it, just a big piece, that may add perhaps 0.3% to this year's inflation rate. Again, not helpful, but not a major driver of inflation either. The problems with student loan forgiveness are that that policy would transfer these liabilities over to the taxpayers. It's not free to anybody except those that voluntarily sign the note and are obligated to pay the debt. Now, let me, let me just bring it home. I'm 68 years old. I worked hard starting at age 16. I worked hard and have my entire life. I'm doing what I'm doing now, Truth News Network and TNN Live. It's not work at all. It's a passion for me and the people that work with me and are contributors here. We do this because we think it's something that people need to understand. We're doing that. How can anybody reconcile that a 68-year-old retired guy, entrepreneur, business owner, how can you reconcile asking me to pay the debts that were legally made, voluntarily made, by a student and his parents? How can you reconcile that? Well, maybe in a socialist society you can do that because that's the way it works. The government takes the money from the populace and they make the decisions on where to spend the money and where not to spend the money. The cover story of today's truthnewsnet.org. If you hadn't read it, you need to read it. It's very applicable to what we're talking about now. Joe Biden, you hear everybody on the left. I'm not talking about just media. I'm talking about members of Congress, politicos that are bureaucrats. Everybody, everybody talks about spending money, canceling school debt, justifying all of these big handouts, And the fundamental premise is the government, the American people, they owe that to each other. And because you're not smart enough to help and do things on your own, we, the federal government, are going to step in and we're going to make the decisions for you and then you have to pay for them. We're going to raise your taxes. This is just one example of it. You know why this is happening? has nothing to do with canceling student debt. It has to do with the cry incessant cry and loud cry of the squad in Congress who want this 
and they think this is the only possible way that Democrats can secure any seats in the House after the midterm elections in November. They all know it's going to be a shellacking for the Democrat Party. Of course, that'll only happen if the election results are honest and they're not manipulated. And, oh, by the way, yes, they were in the 2020 election. I went to college for four years. I had a scholarship. I worked hard for that. I earned it. I paid for it. Our kids went to college. We didn't borrow money. We either had it, they had scholarships, but we all worked for it. People need to understand every child is not going to be a CEO of a major corporation or a U.S. congressman or a doctor or a lawyer. Everybody's not going to do that. Never has worked that way. As a parent, we all need, and we did with our three children, we left the decision about what they were going to do professionally, we left it up to them. We guided them. We talked to them. When they came to us, we talked about the bad and the good in all of them. And we encouraged our kids, figure out what you want to do and then go in that direction. And that's what they all three did. All three professionals today, they're involved in really important stuff, different from each other, totally different from each other, but they're doing well without any student debt, by the way. And don't say it's because, oh, you're a wealthy guy. You can pay it with no problem. No, 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 no. We didn't have it. We chose not to have it. We worked and we remained within our budget. We did what we could do with what we have. And it worked out pretty darn well. And it still is. I told you we were going to hear from some folks let me, let, let me do this. Let me let you listen to the ABC summary. This is early, early this morning, the overnight stuff about the Ukraine-Russia happenings. Well, let's bring in ABC News National Security and Defense Analyst Mick Mulroy for more on this this morning. Mick, good to see you. The UK Defense Ministry say that Russian forces appear to be trying to surround Ukraine's heavily fortified portions in the east. That's what Marcus was reporting on. How can Ukrainian forces hold them off? So, Kara, this is where the the uh, aircraft, such as the MI-17 transport helicopters and the tactical vehicles that we're racing to get to the Ukrainians really come in handy. Uh, if the Ukrainians can maneuver, if they can send out a blocking force to prevent this from happening, they can turn the tides when they when they when the Russian forces separate and try to double envelop, for example, and encircle uh, the Ukrainian forces. So that's that's primarily how one would defend against this this effort, this uh, encircling effort by the by the Russians. The UK also estimating, uh, Mick, as you know, that Russia has lost about 15,000 troops now in this campaign. So what do you think that tells us about Russia's strategy right now and how it's changed since this invasion began? And where exactly do they go from here? So, Kara, they've lost over 25 percent of the force that they originally aligned to, to do this campaign. So they've taken significantly heavy losses. And I think that's why Secretary Austin highlighted that we are actually significantly depleting the Russian military uh, capability during this this conflict. So uh, they are changing their tactics. They have obviously unified their command uh, under Dvornikov, 
And they've got shorter supply lines simply because they've they focused their efforts on the east and kind of abandoned their failed efforts in the north. So they're trying to adjust their strategy, but essentially it's the same strategy. They encircle a city. They bombard it with artillery and rockets, regardless of whether they're hitting civilians or the military. And they just won't go into the city because that means they actually have to fight the Ukrainians one-on-one. And they have not been successful thus far. And I think that's why they just keep doing these encirclement-type uh, operations. Yeah, I think the theme yesterday when we were listening uh, to key U.S. leaders, it was win, 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 that Ukraine will win, Ukraine is winning. Meanwhile, Russia's foreign minister says that NATO is essentially waging a proxy war on Russia by supplying all these weapons to Ukraine. So what do you make of that message? And also there's all these renewed saber, the renewed saber rattling when it comes to nukes as well on behalf of Russia. What do you make of that? Is it real? Is the threat real? So on the proxy issue, essentially a proxy is a a clandestine relationship in which one side directs the other. It's more like an Iran-Hezbollah-type situation. What we have with the Ukrainians is a partnership. Uh, We overtly support the Ukrainians, and it's obviously in the Ukrainian interest to do what they're doing. So we are a partner. So uh, he must have his terminology uh, mixed up. Quite frankly, if you wanted to see another example of a partnership, it'd be Russia with the Assad regime in Syria. Uh, so it's not a proxy relationship. On the on the second question, I think that really indicates that Lavrov and probably Putin indicate, know now that their conventional military threat is not significant. So they're going to start talking nukes all the time because they realize what we understand is that they were a paper tiger. Uh, and that is what they'll have to go to I'm gonna meet almost immediately if there's a conflict between NATO and Russia. Yeah, I mean, they are clearly being defeated here. And then you've got Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin saying the U.S. will keep moving heaven and earth to supply aid to Ukraine as it should. So what are you watching for in these meetings now with military allies in Germany? Secure, the big thing is coordination. We're seeing a lot of these uh, countries wanting to donate, send equipment, weapons, money, uh, which is great. Uh, But we need to have a coordinated effort to determine what the Ukrainians need so that that does not, stuff that they do not need doesn't clog up the logistics pipeline, which is so important right now. So I think uh, Secretary Austin being former General Austin is going to be really good at really nailing down what they need for this phase war and getting, making sure that is what's the first in the pipeline to get to the Ukrainians. Have you noticed how little this week and last week we're getting in the way of news on a daily basis about this war over there. I mean, this is a really big thing. We're two months plus into a war that involves two really large nations, the two biggest in Europe. And I mean, it's nasty. People are dying every day. People are getting slaughtered. We have a tyrant, a despot that leads a country and with no provocation at all, decided to invade a neighboring country. You can talk about politics of it all you want to, but it is happening. People on the ground are dying, getting killed. And we need to hear more about the facts so that we can make decisions. I know we're not involved in it. I certainly don't want to get involved in it with weaponry and people I mean, we'd be looking at another Afghanistan, and we know how costly that was. We got nothing out of it, as a matter of fact. In fact, all we did was turn billions of dollars worth of stuff over to a despot. Yeah, (laughs) the leadership of Afghanistan are in the tank, hardcore leftists that hate the fire out of the West, especially the United States. 
and we left him $82 billion worth of military equipment when Joe Biden pulled out. There's a whole lot more behind the scenes. I like to listen to a guy like General Jack Keane. He's a contributor pretty regularly on Fox News, and he weighed in on his determination of the latest going on in Ukraine. All these weapons going into Ukraine sounds to me like a real mobilization on our part. Is, is that right? Yeah, very much so. And, it, and it's literally based on what the Ukrainians really need. And, and Secretary Austin and General Milley have been working with them for a couple of weeks to get to this point. Uh, the real issue is can we sustain this effort? And I think that is why uh, Secretary Austin and General Milley had this meeting in Ramstein this week, uh, yesterday when it took place, and they had 40 nations show up. Uh, really quite amazing uh, yeah. when you consider that many of them were not European nations. And certainly the appeal there was to get them to step up and support it. Some of them are not going to declare publicly what they're doing, but they're going to do it. And that is absolutely what is needed. The United States cannot do this by ourselves. We need that assistance to keep the flow of these weapons going. It will be crucial. The flow of the weapons will have a direct correlation to the outcome of the war. But can the Russians keep the flow of men and weapons going? I saw you earlier this morning talking about Russia maybe losing 500 tanks. Is that accurate? And they can't replace them? And they, they lost a lot of frontline troops. They can't replace them. They're not performing very well. No, no, the Russians certainly... Uh, you're right, Stuart. They, they have their own issues. They have morale issues. They have leadership issues on how well to fight the war. They have logistic issues, to be sure. But here, here's what they do have. They, they do have enough forces in Ukraine here, certainly to grind the Ukrainians down. I'm very concerned about their artillery, which they have a preponderance of. The Russian way of war in conventional war is the use of artillery. They couldn't bring it into play in the Battle of Kiev because the Ukrainians pushed them back in the suburbs, but they are having it in play now. They are pounding Ukrainian positions as a result of that. They can grind them down and make some penetrations. In the last 24 hours, they have had some success in moving forward out of the city of Izum and moving south down towards the Donbass. That's the first time we've seen that kind of successful movement. Would you say that at this moment, the Ukrainians are winning? I don't think either one of them are winning, frankly, but the Ukraine certainly won the first phase of the war. Mm. And that's indisputable. And that was to topple Kiev and certainly topple the government. They, they stopped that from happening. This phase is crucial. It, it lends an advantage to the Russians because the terrain is open and flat. And the Ukrainians don't have the buildings and those structures to conceal themselves and provide protection like they did around Kiev. They're out in the open, so they dig fortified positions. Well, fortified positions are easy to detect. You fly satellites, you figure out where they are, you fly drones, and then you pound them uh, with artillery. That's the concern that we have. What kills artillery is artillery and also air power. And what they get in the house. And that's what, they, that's what they need them for, and the radar to help them do that. General Keene, always great stuff. Thank you very much for being here. Yeah, sir. great always talking to you, Yes, sir, thank you. It's really important that we get factual news and information about these kind of things. I mean, this is a big deal. Afghanistan was a big deal. What we did in Iraq twice was a big deal. What we did in Benghazi is a really big deal. And almost in every one of those circumstances that I, I just listed, 
we never got complete and full information. What we got was the version that our government wanted us to hear and therefore believe. And I think General Jack Keane, as you heard him, I think he knows a little more, maybe a lot more than what he's saying, but he's got to walk a, a thin line. You can bet he's not telling us everything that he knows, but he's being honest with us. And I really like that about Jack Keane. Well, what do we have coming up next? Uncle Joe. <laughs> Uncle Joe is going to check in and he's going to reveal to you the real reasons for our, our economic headaches. And I guess you'll believe when I tell you, but he's blaming them on others and not himself. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm a Verizon engineer, and today we're turning on 5G across the country, including right here in New York City. With the coverage of 5G nationwide and in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of ultra-wideband. It will change your phone and how businesses do everything. I'm proud because we didn't build it the easy way. We built it right. This is the 5G America's been waiting for, only from Verizon. 5G ultra-wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G nationwide available in 1,800-plus cities. Square Packages, the packaging specialists, are proud to present a box on both your houses. The untold story of the invention of the box and the family rivalry that nearly destroyed it. It's a tale about opening your heart, finding acceptance, and inventing the most efficient means of shipping and packaging that mankind has ever known. Proving that to find what's in your soul, you have to look outside the box and into another box, which is a house your home. And that truly is the greatest box of all. Tune in every Wednesday at 8 for this once-in-a-week-time television event, A Box on Both Your Houses, presented by Square Packages, the packaging specialists. You're fighting back the tsunami of ignorance with Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. I got rocked. During that commercial break, I opened a text that I'd gotten about five or ten minutes earlier, and it's from one of our listeners, and we were discussing, if you'll remember, the cancellation, the proposed cancellation of student debt by this president, and I got this text, and as I said, it rocked me. Here's what it says. Perhaps they should look at forgiving medical debt for cancer patients instead of student loans. Education is a choice. Cancer is not. I'll read it again. Perhaps they, being the federal government, should look at forgiving medical debt for cancer patients instead of student loans. Education is a choice. Cancer is not. What a hard truth 
that is. And if you think about it for a few moments, you'll realize, putting the two side by side, what this text really means. And it makes a whole lot more sense than a wholesale forgiveness of student debt. Wow. Well, Uncle Joe, I told you he was going to be here. I don't have anything that we're going to play today from him. I get tired, to be quite honest with you, I hate to play his audio sound bites, his speeches anymore, because he's so erratic and so obviously having uh, cognitive disabilities for whatever reason or reasons. I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to speculate. But he's got issues. And he's got more issues than that. The U.S. economy is tanking in the first quarter of this year. That by itself has created a nightmare scenario for Joe and the Democrat Party. Why? we got midterm elections coming up in just a few months. The GDP dropped at an annualized rate of 1.4% between January and March. That's the worst shrinkage since the country's economic shutdown in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic back in 2020. Recent polling has found Biden will have to change voters' perceptions on the current state of the economy for Democrats to have any hope at all in the midterms. A Gallup poll released yesterday found that 42% of Americans think the economic conditions are poor. 32% said the economy is in fair shape. Over three-quarters of us, 76%, said the economy is getting worse, while less than one-quarter, 20%, said it's getting better. Gallup, Gallup polls has what they call an economic confidence index. It measures the way the public feels about the economy on a scale of plus 100 being very high and minus 100 being very low. In all of these pollings, that number stands right now at minus 39. The poll surveyed 1,018 adults between April 1 and April 19, a 4% margin of error. The high cost of inflation, and for that matter, the economy overall, those are the issues Americans currently prioritize the most. Serpent Head, you remember him. He's the one back uh, when Bill Clinton was running for re-election in the midst of being impeached. And people were saying, there's no way that Clinton's going to make it because of all of this stuff he's gotten involved with, the sexual stuff with Monica Lewinsky. He's not going to get reelected. And James Carville, Serpent Head, he said these words that have rung through our nation almost every election cycle. It's about the money. It's about the money. That's all that matters to people at election time, how you're doing financially. In April, 17% of people responding to one of these polls said inflation is their most important problem. 12% answered that all economic issues are the most important. Discussing issues unrelated to the economy, the majority overwhelmingly said the government and poor leadership are their biggest concerns. Another poll reached also yesterday, found that only 33% of Americans approve of Biden's handling of the economy, 61% disapprove. They surveyed in that poll 
1,554 adults between April 21 and 25. That one has a 2.5% margin of error. It's the worst political environment that I've lived through in 30 years of being a political consultant. That comes from Biden pollster John Anzalone. Inflation reached its highest levels since December of 1981, when the Consumer Price Index soared 8.5% just in one month, in March, last month. Gas prices skyrocketed, average of over $4 a gallon early last month, and that came after Russian President Vladimir Putin invaded Ukraine. That gave Joe a scapegoat, which he has made Vladimir Putin, his scapegoat for the high prices, specifically gas. They call him Putin's price hike. They don't want you and I to remember that prices of gas and other essential goods had skyrocketed months prior to the war in Ukraine. Biden first tapped the Strategic Petroleum Reserve to release 50 million barrels of oil. Why? Well, to combat those rising gas prices in November. Four months before the invasion. Another poll found that registered voters are almost evenly split between favoring Democrats and Republicans, 43% of respondents supporting Democrats, 42% for Republicans. Republicans have a strong advantage over uh, voters who prioritize the economy by 50 to 39% margin. That poll surveyed 2,005 registered voters between April 15th and 17th, 2% margin of error. We don't often go through the poll things for it because they can be so scattered. It depends on the exact way the questions are asked. Where do you get the numbers and the names of people that you're calling? All those kind of things. You can make the results of any poll come out to favor any one issue or not to favor another one. You can manipulate them. But when you see a consensus, I think that's, we just, we just referenced five different polling agencies, and their numbers are almost exactly the same. They're all in the exact same range. It makes you feel pretty certain that come midterm election time in November, people are going to go to the polls, and they're going to vote based upon money. And there's only one thing about this president and money. He wants more. He wants you and I to send more up there so he can spend it. But he spends way through what we send up there already. And there's no bank. There's no savings account. The only way the federal government can deficit spend is they go borrow the money. And you and I, we're the guarantors of the money that they borrow. We're the ones Our kids, grandkids, great-grandkids, great-great-great-grandkids are the ones that are being saddled with this debt for all this stuff, Joe Biden. And for that matter, anybody and everybody in the federal government. If they vote yes for spending on anything, they're doing it, and they're doing it is costing you debt dollars. So how did Uncle Joe weigh in on all this news? He blamed the economic contraction on technical factors. Technical factors. He issued a statement yesterday. In part it said, 
While last quarter's growth estimate was affected by technical factors, the U.S. confronts the challenges of COVID-19 around the world, Putin's unprovoked invasion of Ukraine, and global inflation, and we're doing so from a position of strength. As we said a moment ago, GDP fell an unexpected annualized rate of 1.4% in the first quarter. Another poll showed that 38% of adults rate the economy as fair, 42% rated as poor, 76% of Americans say the economy was getting worse. We can sum it up this way. We always have. It's based on substance. If you base your stories, your opinions, what you say and what you think on substance, you're going to be fine. You'll be educated. You'll be able to have everything you need to make an educated decision about anything and everything to do with dollars and cents. But this president and all in his administration, everybody that's working with him now, with very few exceptions, worked with him before during the Obama-Biden years. Some even worked for him when he was still in the United States Senate. So they know him, and he knows them well. Somebody, and it may be Ron Klain, his chief of staff, I don't know. We don't ever hear much from Ron Klain. But I would think it would have to be someone at that level that could convince the president to never admit any kind of involvement, liability, responsibility for anything bad that happens at all. It doesn't matter if it's crime, if it's bad weather, if it's inflation, if it's high prices, if the Federal Reserve raised interest rates. None of that, you were supposed to say, none of that is because of anything that this president has done. You're not going to win the support of American people taking that. You're just not going to. People won't. They understand when leaders make mistakes, when leaders make bad choices. We, the people, understand that. We're people, too. None of us are perfect. We certainly can't expect you and D.C. to be perfect. But what we do expect you to do is work together with the people across the aisle from you and reach consensus and not only get legislation passed and signed into law, make the executive branch of our government do what they constitutionally are supposed to do fundamentally. They're supposed to take care of the people and all our needs. And you don't do that by every day spending much more money than you have coming in. And most of that is spent on items that have nothing to do with the good of the broad majority of the American people. It's all pointed at individual sectors. And it's not a conspiracy theory to say a lot of that money going to these various areas has to do with commitments during campaigns. We call it quid pro quo spending. Quid pro quo. Harvard economists say the recession talk, it's amping up. They say it is at least a 50-50 chance we're going to have a recession over the next year. Kenneth Rogoff, 
who served as former chief economist at the International Monetary Fund, the IMF, he warned that the odds of the U.S. falling into a recession are at least 50-50. He was speaking to Maria Bartiromo on Fox. Maria said this, The question becomes, are we going to see a recession? There are a lot of opinions out there and debate about whether a recession will hit this year or next. Where are you on that? So Mr. Rogoff, he said, I think the chances are at least 50-50 we'll see a recession over the next year. What I feel really worried about is I don't see how the Fed will both bring inflation down to say 25 to 3% and not have a massive recession. I think to do that, they'd have to hike rates 4.5% at least. And over the next year and a half, I don't think they are going to do that. I suspect we're going to end up with still high inflation and maybe even still a recession. It doesn't take a whole lot to tip the scales away from the good. Here's where this, I don't even know how to verbalize this. I'm so frustrated. None of this had to happen. You do realize that. None of it had to happen. You remember the famous quote by former President Barack Obama when he was spending money left and right. And he kept getting asked over and over and over and over about that. And he turned around one time. One person asked him, why are you doing this? Why are you spending this money? And I don't remember the specific issue at the time. Biden famously quipped, elections have consequences. So we conservatives, we can chalk what we're living through right now. We can chalk it up. To Joe Biden and the Democrats, they won the election in 2020. Whether legitimately or not, Joe Biden was inaugurated as president. He is president of the United States, and he has the authority to do some of the things that he's doing. He doesn't have authority to do some of the others, but nevertheless, he's doing this, and he doesn't live in a vacuum, nor do any of us. What we do impacts him. What he does impacts us. That's never going to change no matter who sleeps in the White House at night. It's always going to be that way. This president has walked through the valley of possible legislation, and he's picked the ones that somebody at least tells him he needs to pick. I don't think he has determined any one of those singularly by himself. Someone has told him, Here's what you need to go to bat to get done. I'm not going to speculate on who it is. We've had this conversation before. You you can do the same thing. But we all know that a lot of, especially the economic stuff that's being pushed and put in place, is not coming from Joe Biden. It's coming from somewhere else. But his decisions, almost every one of them, are based on authoritarian ideals, not on what's best for the people, not on turning it over and listening to the people and making your decisions based directly on what most of the people feel. This is a representative republic. That means citizens don't have to vote on everything. We elect people 
and they go to Washington, D.C. to represent us about every issue that comes up legislatively. It works pretty well when that body, the Congress, works pretty well with the White House. And it doesn't matter. I'm not talking about who's in power as far as politically, which party, etc. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about finding a way to reach consensus. They have to do that on every issue. Do you know that there are a massive number of immigration laws that through the years have been passed? Many have been amended. Some have been thrown out. Some new ones put in there. But there is a very strict skeletal section that talks about immigration, what's allowed and what's not. There is law passed that says that. This president brings on himself, all without exception of any, any of the policies that he's made regarding the southern border stuff. Every bit of it is on his head. And it begins and it ends with this one thing. He refuses to support the rule of law, the Constitution, and the rule of law, the laws that have been inserted in the way we are governed by legislation that is passed by both of the houses, House and Senate, and then signed into a, in law by this president. That's the way it works. And he is, he's uneducated on the process, I think. And it, it's, it's crazy for me to even say that because he was in the United States Senate for what, 40 years, 30 something years. That's a long time. You would think he would understand the legislative process because he worked all those years from the inside. Maybe he does understand. Maybe he is really in a deep cognitive state of decline. Maybe all that rolled in together is the reason why this is happening. But he is not alone making each and every one of these policy decisions. Someone he trusts is the voice of Joe Biden. And I just haven't been able to figure it out. Meanwhile, his son, Hunter, has really put dad in a corner despite the deflections and claims that Biden has had no role in the family business that we've, we've heard for a year, a year and a half, 12 examples indicate Joe and his team have lied. What are they? 12 times. Most recently, White House visitor logs show Biden met with Hunter's business partners way back in 2010. 26 additional records show Hunter's business partner visited the White House to meet with Joe Biden's staff. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, she dismissed the visits as for more than 10 years ago, but she didn't deny that Hunter's business partner actually met with Joe. I really don't have more detail or information on them. So let me give you the quick rundown of those 12. September 19, 2019, I've never spoken to my son about his overseas dealings. That's number one. Later, that was proven to be false. October 22nd, 2020. I have not taken a penny from any foreign source ever in my life, he said, referring to Hunter's role on the board of the Ukrainian energy company during a presidential debate. Nothing was unethical. My son 
has not made money from China. The only guy who has made money from China was this guy. And he pointed to Donald Trump. Number three, October 19, 2020. It's a smear campaign because he has nothing he wants to talk about. What is he running on? What is he running on? Joe Biden deflected during an interview on CBS's 60 Minutes. October 25th, 2020. Joe Biden has never even considered being involved in business with his family, nor in any overseas business whatsoever. That came from Biden's campaign spokesman, Andrew Bates. He has never held stock in any such business arrangements, nor has any family member or any other person ever held stock for him. Joe has never even considered being involved in business with his family, nor in any overseas business whatsoever. Number five, March 31st, 2022. We absolutely stand by the president's comment. That's from White House Communications Director Kate Bedingfield. She reaffirmed Hunter Biden did nothing that was unethical and never made money in China, which is a lie. Next on the rundown here, April 5th, 2022. The president has said he never spoke to his son about his overseas business dealings. Is that still the case? Fox News reporter Peter Ducey asked that question to Jen Psaki. And of course, he got a very skewed, nasty reply that she later came out. Well, her network came out and f- asked for forgiveness for her. April 6, 2022, when asked by Ducey about evidence that the president at one point was office mates with Hunter and his brother Jim here in D.C., Saki claimed reports were not accurate, no detail, just that they were not active. Oh, my gosh. Can you believe we're dealing with all this stuff in addition to all the other very important and egregious things that are happening to us and people around the world? Folks, COVID-19 is not over. There are still people getting infected every day. People dying every day. Thankfully, not in the numbers that we experienced at the height of the pandemic. But it's still going on. And we still have this rot, this war every day that we have to deal with in Ukraine. And we have a two dozen, three dozen, four dozen other issues that are all very, very important. After leaving the White House as an advisor to then-Vice President Joe Biden during the summer of 2014 and becoming the president of a D.C.-based company founded by a Chinese executive with ties to U.S. officials at some of the highest levels of the Communist Party of China, Francis Fran Person visited the White House at least seven times between 2015 and 2016. Why is that important? What's Hunter Biden's buddy? What's he doing going to see the president in the White House? Person who emailed with Hunter Biden and his longtime business partner, Eric Schwerlin, frequently about business dealings associated with the Harvest Group in 2015 and 16. He made multiple visits to the White House during that time, including attending a White House holiday reception in December of 2015, with Bo Zhang, 
the Chinese executive who founded the Harvest Group. White House visitor logs from 2015-2016 show that Person met with his sister, Anne-Marie Muldoon, who previously worked for Schwerin and Hunter at Rosemont Seneca Partners before joining Vice President Biden's office in May of 2014, at least four times. Another listing, another listing for the person in March 2016 was a meeting with Steve Ricchetti, who was Biden's chief of staff for four years, 2013 to 2017, is currently Biden's White House counselor. Person, who served in the Obama administration as an advisor to VP Biden and a special assistant to President Biden between 2009 and 2014, he left the White House in late July for a special advisory role at the University of South Carolina, his alma mater, before becoming the president of the Harvest Group less than six months later in January of 2015, where he injected Pipeline Guide, the formation of the D.C. Basic Company, and established global partnerships in China. One political profile piece on Person's exit from the White House in 2014 said that Person traveled with then-Vice President Joe Biden to 49 of the 50 countries he traveled to between 2009 and 2014. That included China and Serbia. The article also quoted Biden and then Second Lady Jill Biden praising Joe Biden, praising person. In times of urgency, everyone from the Secret Service to my communications and policy teams, the first guy they go to is Fran. Fran has been like a son to Joe and me, Jill said. For eight years, we traveled the country. We shared holidays together. Fran may be leaving the office, but he will always be a part of our family. Fran person responded to a question Thursday about the White House visit, saying they were personal in nature and that he was visiting with old colleagues and friends, and he served for six years during the Obama administration. Those visits were personal, visiting with old colleagues and friends whom I served with drug during my six years working there, and completely unrelated to my work with Harvest Entertainment, which was creating experiences and attractions with iconic brands across the sports and entertainment industry. He didn't address whether he or Zhang communicated with or met with Obama administration officials outside the White House to discuss harvest-related business deals. He did not address whenever he or Hunter have introduced to Biden. In March of 2017, Schwerin emailed Hunter breaking down the firm's interest, including a 5% stake with Harvest Amusement Parks and ownership in Harvest Sports and Entertainment, both of which fall under the Washington, D.C.-based Harvest Group. One bad-looking and sounding story after another one, right? Let's do something a little bit different here. I told you about Joy Reid. At the top of the show, I mentioned she is facing some probable, really big 
litigation, maybe even worse than that. There may be some criminal investigation that these actions have brought on to Joy Reid. Here's the information about it. Calling a photo of him with young black boys at an anti-critical race theory bill signing event, quote, child abuse. But the boys in the photo are actually students in education and mentorship programs created by our next guest. He is demanding Reed apologize for her comments or face a defamation lawsuit. In an open letter, Jack Brewer writes this. Miss Reed's reckless statements placed these kids in danger. Certain people motivated by Reed's comments are furiously trying to figure out their identities. Joining me right now is the man himself. He is former college and NFL football great and the Brewer Group CEO, Jack Brewer. Jack, it's great to see you today. Thanks very much. I know you are furious about this, and I know how important this is to you because we go back a long time. You've been talking about this mentorship group for a long time, and you have so much pride in helping these kids who are fatherless. Tell us what happened. That's right. You know, I was shocked, you know, whenever you get an opportunity like this for kids, and our kids in our demographic, the majority of them are fatherless, um, black boys, African-American boys uh, who are really underserved, and we're trying to bridge that gap. But, you know, we brought this to them as a great opportunity to meet the governor of their state, uh, someone who they're going to be able to meet. They could put this on their resumes in the future. Uh, and it really was a joyous moment uh, for our entire organization. And then to have her come at us like that and not our kids and attack them uh, and actually send out her 2.1 million followers to go find our kids, go look for them, uh, and saying that we're committing child abuse, I mean, you can't have anything more hurtful. Uh, it, it brought so much pain to these children because now, you know, their community's asking them and they're claiming that Governor DeSantis is racist, like she put in her tweet. Uh, and so now they're second guessing what's going on. And it's just, it's not right uh, to put children like that at danger. I had to call the local law enforcement officers and increase uh, our security at our center. Uh, we had to watch uh, our kids as they, on their commute, back and forth from their tutoring program and our sports programs. It's just not right. Uh, MSNBC and Joy Reid need to be held accountable. Uh, we expect an apology. I'm not a litigious person. I don't want her money or their money. Uh, but what I do want is for the dignity and respect to be put back to my kids. They don't deserve that. Uh, they are trying to live the American dream. They love this country as we teach them in our program. Uh, and I think they deserve uh, an apology for this. Well, I mean, I know that, you know, you say that these poor children are getting death threats now. We try to black out their faces, you know, uh, uh, make, make their faces blurry so that they would not be obvious on, on television, Jack. W what specifically happened here? And have you heard a response from Joy Reid? Well, I don't, I don't think they've gotten death threats. I hope not anyway. But I, and I, I haven't heard anything back from Joy Reid or MSNBC. Uh, and it's been days now since we initially asked for an apology. We've sent out uh, letters to uh, Joy Reid, MSNBC, uh, also NBC News and, and all. Uh, I'll be hand deliver delivering a letter this weekend once I make it up to New York if we haven't heard back. I'm giving them every opportunity to come and respond and take responsibility for this. You know, Maria, uh, these people go out and, and claim to be for the underserved, claim to be for, you know, African-Americans and equity 
equity and diversity and they throw out all these woke terms. But at the end yeah. of the day, the demographic that needs it the most is the fatherless kids in America that make up uh, 71 percent of high school dropouts, that make up uh, over two and a half million uh, fatherless kids that are incarcerated. I mean, think about that. Our incarcerated yeah. population, the majority of them are fatherless. And so if you want to have equity and equality and you're really for civil rights, this is the demographic you should be fighting for. They should be on my side here, yeah. not calling me a child that's, abuser. That's a great point. Well, that's absolutely right. And, you know, you see all of this just, uh, you know, say one thing and do another. There's a new report. Research firm One Nation reveals several Democrat-run states like California, New York, Illinois. They have reallocated COVID relief money to add tenets of critical race theory to public schools. So they're not even using the COVID money the way it's supposed to be used. They're trying to use it so that they could push this critical race theory in schools. This is a tragedy for the taxpayer. It's a tragedy for our country. People, critical race theory is real. And when you hear the Democrats or those on the left that describe it, they talk about it as some college-level theory. Well, you know what? These teachers are going to college learning this stuff. Right now, Maria, yeah. when I look at my kids' report cards, they can make a 50 or 60. They make Fs. And their teachers tell them that for them it's satisfactory because they're poor black kids. They're not expected to be able to, to, to go out and attain an, an A or a B. It's so absolutely terrible. ridiculous. Yeah. It happens over and over again. That's why I stand so hard against this critical race theory is because it's really holding right. down the most underserved. We hear the people in Virginia, we hear a lot of Americans, yeah. moms and dads going to these right. student council meetings, but they're not speaking for the underserved because most of these kids yeah. don't have well, parents Jack, involved. You are. You You've been speaking for this group for a long time. Thanks for taking a stand. And thanks for joining me this morning, Jack. Good to see you as always. Jack Brewer joining God us bless this morning. You, we'll see you Thank soon, you. Jack. Isn't it interesting that when an African-American news person, which is Joy Reid with this far left MSNBC channel, when they point to someone and make nasty allegations against them, there's no accountability for doing so. Why? because they're African-American and they work for MSNBC. In real life, it doesn't work that way. We're held accountable. We're held accountable for what we do and what we don't do in the right circumstances. These crazies on these far-left media outlets like Joy Reid, like The View, they're never held accountable for the falsehoods they give. They get a free pass. It's not right. Joy Reid needs to be accountable for what she said. You're fighting back the tidal wave of deceit, lies, spin, and ignorance with TNN, the Truth News Network. Long live the courageous. The tenacious. The ones who push forward and give back. Long live the greater good. The helping hand. Those who fall and get back up. And long live the truck with the strength. 
Out a few Coke summer sound effects on you. Yes. Cool. You okay with this? Yes. And this? Yes. And what about this? Yes. Ha! Gotcha there, Thirst. That wasn't sound effects. That was a Coke. I'm no longer thirsty. You're so out of here. Coca Cola, open happiness. This next story, it frosts me. It's probably the nastiest I've, 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 I've thought about anything that's happening in our government in a long, long time. In a really long time. And it is about illegal immigration. I almost decided not to even bring you this story because I know it'll frost a bunch of you. The Gang of Eight, you remember that? It was a group of legislators from both sides of the party, it was bipartisan, crafted what's called the Border Security Economic Opportunity and Immigration Modernization Act of 2013. It expired after the House of Representatives never decided to take up the bill. Now, listen to who was involved in wanting this to happen. Senators... Tom Tillis, a Republican of North Carolina. John Cornyn, a Republican of Texas. Tillis and Cornyn are joining forces with Democrat Senator Alex Padilla of California, a Democrat, and Dick Durbin, a Democrat from Illinois. Dick Durbin was in the original Gang of Eight. Formal talks about this started yesterday. Instead of trying to craft an agreement from scratch, the group is going to use smaller, already introduced bipartisan immigration-related bills to try to put together a package that could get the 60 votes needed to advance through the Senate. Biden's plan to drop Title 42 next month, which is the CDC statute to limit migration into the U.S. to protect citizens from exposure to the coronavirus. The administration's decision has sparked fierce pushback from Republicans as well as some Democrat senators. But the administration is also facing pressure from a swath of Democrat lawmakers and immigration advocates to stick by the decision, arguing that the Trump-era program is inhumane. A GOP demand for a vote to effectively block the administration from lifting Title 42, which has also gotten snagged by a court fight, has stalemated a deal for $10 billion in coronavirus aid. Republicans view the two issues as related because the administration's decision to lift Title 42 comes as there is a broader COVID public health emergency still in effect. Durbin said this, we've got a list. We've got a starting list. There could be some more, but it's a starting point. I've talked to four or five Republican senators today. There's a genuine interest in doing something. What is it that they want to do? 
Oh my gosh, are you ready for this? They are in favor of and are crafting legislation to give amnesty to hundreds of thousands of illegal aliens. I'm not kidding. Breitbart News reported that Biden officials are now preparing for a mass migration event at the border where they expect a foreign population the size of Atlanta, Georgia, roughly half a million, to show up every month, hoping to get released into the U.S. interior by the administration's expansive catch-and-release network. And in the middle of those warnings, Tillerson Durbin confirmed they are pushing to revive an amnesty plan for illegal aliens with their fellow citizens. Yes, we want to sit at a table and ask members who have immigration, bipartisan immigration bills to come and propose those bills to us and see if we can build a 60-vote-plus margin for a group of bills. It may not be possible, but I think it is, Durbin said. Tillis, Tillis said that after the recess, he wanted to start some working groups leading up to whenever we can have a committee markup. The only way we're going to get real progress is to have a four-pillar discussion. So immigration reform, DACA, border security, and then I think asylum reform is pretty important, particularly with what's going on in Title 42. It makes me nauseated just to think they're discussing this. It's not new. They've discussed it for years. They wanted it for years. Unless and until we lock down the border, based on immigration law, we should not do one bit of reform, amnesty, or anything. If you're illegal, you're illegal. Wow.
state propriety can lead to notoriety you could end up as the only one and gentleness sobriety are rare in this society at night a candle's brighter than the sun and 